Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to episode 131 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is none other than Gordon Treadgold. Jordan is a former corporate warrior who successfully delivered complex $100 million projects, ran $300 million departments, and led global teams of 1,000 staff or more. He has helped clients reduce operational costs by $350 million, increase performance by 50 to 500%, and helped entrepreneurs triple their revenue in just 12 months. Now, Gordon helps to develop good managers into great leaders and also helps those looking to take their first steps on the leadership ladder. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on leadership, employee engagement, and operational excellence. He's been recognized by global gurus as a top 10 leadership expert and speaker. Gordon's work has been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Inc., Entrepreneur, Fortune, and Addicted to Success. He's written four books, and his latest book, Fast, which is one we'll talk a lot about in this podcast, was a finalist in the Chartered Management Institute Management Book of the Year running. His clients include Accenture, GE Aviation, Alliance, Baxter International, Arizona Department of Child Safety, American Airlines, and many, many others. Now, I usually try to condense these bios some because there's a lot of numbers and things that pop up in there like you just heard with Gordon's. But with his, I really thought it was very important to keep these in because they really speak to the breadth and depth of his knowledge. And in this podcast, we do wander around a little bit. We end up talking about rugby quite a bit, which is not a topic I've ever talked about on this podcast much before. But you'll see uh, where that conversation goes. But Gordon's really kind of been there, done that, and he's done it all around the world. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. I think there's a little bit of something here for everybody. And I'm just going to shut up now and get out of the way and let you get into this outstanding conversation that I had the honor of having with Gordon Treadgold. Gordon, thanks for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely love it. Oh no, I'm I'm loving this. Uh, you know, uh, for for the listeners who weren't privy to it, uh, we had a really great pre-roll uh, conversation, and I'm just excited to get into this interview uh, because I think it's going to be some great conversation here. We've already hit on a lot of topics. Probably should have been hit and record then, uh, but anyways, <laughs> let's start you off where we start everybody off, Gordon. When you hear the phrase "burden of command," what does that mean to you? So, so I, I love I love that question because I think it's I, I, 
I'm definitely going to ask that when I start interviewing people for leadership roles, because for me, leadership is is not a burden. For me, leadership is an opportunity for me to be involved in in shaping the outcome. And you know, when I when I first stepped into leadership, that was often with you know using my expertise my knowledge my my skills to you know lead from the front and get the uh, you know get the the team across the line whereas latterly as I've progressed and moved on it's about helping the team come up with the right solution and you know setting them up to be successful and then getting the the thing across the line and i think if you if you see leadership as a burden then maybe leadership's actually not for you it, it, leadership's an opportunity to get the best out of people and to move them forward now having said that there is a burden to leadership and and again this is in an interview question it would be great to see how people feel about that. And the burden of leadership to me is that if we fail, I'm the one that is uh, accountable for that. If we fail, it's it's on my my dime. The book stops with me. And I think that's that's the burden of leadership. It, it, you can't duck it. If you if you choose to step forward uh, and shape the direction select the team coach the team give them the the, the tools and the, the uh, set them up for success and it doesn't happen then the, the book rests with you but for me I I'm, I'm confident in my own abilities and I would I would rather be leading uh, and helping design the solution than uh, you know being back in the pack and maybe watching somebody else uh, shape a solution that I don't feel comfortable with so yeah, that's no. how I see it. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. I mean, there, there's a lot there, and you know, and I agree <laughs> with you. Like, and I 100 agree. Like, if you look at at leadership as as a burden in the sense of, oh man, this is something I have to do, and and you, yeah, you hate going to work because of that responsibility. Then, yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Get get out of it, right? Get out of it. It's not for you. Yeah, well, and I think that's where we get. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This is my experiences. Maybe yours are a little different. But I think that's where we end up with all of these terrible leaders in the position they're in right now. They feel yeah, like absolutely. they Yeah, go ahead. They they want to be they they want to be leaders but they don't want to have to lead for the for the for the books that they're getting and the the position that they they uh they hold. Yeah, well exactly cuz we we've gotten people especially in corporate America and uh that that are locked into this idea that I have to get promoted. I have to take that next step. And, yeah. and we get people promoted beyond their means, but they get the title, they get the money, and they're miserable, and they take it out on everybody else. And now we have employee disengagement at an all-time high. Yeah. We we have all these well, issues, right? Well, I just want to interrupt you with that for a second, because, yeah, um, employee disengagement is at an all-time high. And do you know what the level of employee engagement currently is at the moment? Uh, the last I heard, engagement is only like 25, 30%. The, the one I saw, there's, well, there's two. There's the, the one that's global, and that's around 15%, but I don't believe that because I've worked in multiple countries. In the U.S., employee engagement is around, or, or it was in 2020, 33%, mm -hmm. 
which is which is that means two thirds of your team are either, uh, and I think there's fourteen percent that are disengaged, actively disengaged. So in your boat, a third are rowing forward. There's uh, around fifty-five percent who are passengers, and there's fourteen percent who are rowing in the opposite direction, mm. and that's a problem. So it's thirty-three percent. Here's the killer question. The last time they run it, because they don't like to run this survey, what was management engagement? Yeah. Yeah. 30%. Yep. And so we're blaming employees for being disengaged, yet managers are 33, uh, 30% disengaged. More managers than employees are disengaged. And one of my favorite quotes is, you can't light a fire with a damp match. So if the well, managers like are not engaged, if the managers are not engaged, then of course the employees are not going to be uh, engaged. And, and we look at employee disengagement as a problem, but the root cause is management disengagement, because managers have to engage, and if they ain't engaged, it ain't gonna engage their employees. And we duck this all the time. And I think the reason why we don't do more management engagement surveys is because it's managers that are paying for those surveys. And why would I pay money for a survey that tells me I'm the problem? You know what? Let's blame the, let's blame the employees. I like that. Exactly. It's it's the classic blame shifting, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And now I don't want to say that that's the case in every single organization. But, you know, when Gallup, who were a reputable company, do a survey and only 30% managers are engaged and 33% employees, I can tell you... I know where the problem is, and it, and it and it and the bigger problem is not in employee disengagement; it's in management disengagement, and that's what we need to fix. And as you say, a lot of that comes from people getting promoted into positions where they're above their capability, which makes it difficult for them to engage. Uh, and then you've got people get that they want the money, but they don't want to do the job. And we used to see this in IT all the time, that they were always looking for how could we play technical experts, the guys that we really needed doing the job, enough money to keep them interested rather than taking a leadership track. Because if an expert, you know, let's say an expert salary tops out at 100,000 and a leader's salary goes up to 150, 200, then you're going to get experts thinking, well, if I want 200, I've now got to go down that path. And, and they might not have the skills to do that job, but they're just not getting the same um, income for, that, for, their, for what their expertise is. And I think we create that problem. Another statistic from Gallup that I love, 87% of the time, let's just let that number settle, 87% of the time, companies promote the wrong people into leadership positions mm -hmm. and, and so you've got this so you've got 30 percent of managers that are dissing that are engaged 70 percent disengaged and you've got a conveyor belt promoting 87 percent of the wrong people into leadership yeah well i mean and i how, think that, how does that, that fix it <laughs> yeah right well i mean and it goes into that whole thing to where uh, you know, organizations really don't know how to hire for the right person to be in those roles. 
you know, it, it's it's that that reliance on oh, you, you were the greatest bean counter that ever counted beans. Obviously, you can lead a group of other bean counters, right? Yeah, so we, we talked about football earlier, and I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. I'm not going to apologize for that. Who is the greatest football coach that's ever been involved in uh, coaching the game? Well, e- even Belichick goes back to, to, to Lambeau. Well, but let, let, I think six Super Bowls, it's Belichick. Where did Belichick play football? It's a great question. Yeah, yeah. How many great players go on to be great coaches and, and leaders of organizations? Yeah. It, 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 who was the, um, the coach in Indy? He, I think he was a, a cornerback for the Steelers, was he? Oh, yeah, Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy. I, I don't remember him as a great player. No. I, I remember him as a player, but great coach. And, and this is, while ever, while ever we're promoting the experts, and the experts apply because they want more money and they, you know, they get told they're experts and they get built up. While ever we're promoting the experts, we're missing out on Tony Junji. We're missing out on um, Bill Parcells and um, Bill Belichick and all of those other people that will be that go on and it's the same in other sports. I'm sure it's the same in you know Wayne Gretzky. Where's he managing now? Which yeah. ice hockey team is he managing? And you know in a lot of the other sports, it's not the greatest players. Yet companies, we take our experts and we see them as the, the you know they 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 rise to the top of the player pool and then we pick them up and we put them into the, the, the management position and, you know, some flourish, but the majority fail. And this is where that 87% of the time we're promoting the wrong people. I, I created, a, I did an article and created a, a, a graphic on this I, and I, I call it the five levels of leadership and the, you know, the kind of five levels of leadership, as I see them, is, you know, level one is the informal leader where you don't have the position, but you're leading anyway. You're being the role model. You're supporting people. You're setting the example. You're stepping up, trying to fix things. Then you've got level two, which is kind of like the team leader where you're managing small groups of people. Then the next level is expert leader where you are an expert in what you are what you are doing so you know you know it might be sales you might be the greatest salesperson ever and then we put you into charge of leading sales teams and you might do well at that and then you've got levels four and level five where now you have to lead outside of your area of expertise so for me my background was in it i, I worked in development but when i made the big prom- and I, I led a lot of projects but when i got the big promotion i went from managing developers, but also database administrators, which I'd never done, network engineers, stuff I'd never done, service desk people, an area I'd never done. So nearly 80% of the people that reported to me were doing a job I'd never done. So my expertise in development is now no longer going to serve me. And this is where a lot of people 
trip and fall you know as an expert leader leading in their area of expertise good to go but when you take that next step up and you have to be now you have to be about engaging and empowering people it's a completely different skill set the skills that got you to an expert leader won't take you further you've got to develop people skills you've got to be able to engage teams inspire teams motivate teams and then the fifth level of leadership which I actually call the inspiring leadership level that's where you're then into creating culture uh, and you're creating long-term sustainable results implementing change you know possibly you know CEO kind of role or head of a large department and, and that's slightly different skills from the employee uh, engaging and empowering because now you're, you're probably leading more people where you don't have hands-on contact with them so now it's about inspiring them and get uh, and creating a culture that those people are going to be uh, interested in being involved in and uh, I'm following so for me that's those are kind of like the levels of leadership and that expert level level three is kind of a plateau for a lot of people and if we move them into level four without the skills that they're, they're going to crash and burn mm. no I, I like everything you said there and it makes a whole lot of sense because it reminds me so again most of my listeners know i i grew up in, in northeast tennessee and uh, I grew up in the Peyton Manning years at, at UT. Uh, so, you know, I remember him from there. And when I got to Indy, uh, you know, he was obviously here in Indianapolis and went on a he lot of He followed you. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I remember, so what, what rang in my, my brain right here as you were uh, talking about that is, is I remember like a year or two before he actually, well, actually before he ended up going to Denver. But so it was about four years before he retired. Somebody was talking to him about, you know, hey, when you retire, are you going to be a coach? And he flat out said no. And they're like, "Whoa, wait a minute! Why? You're you're like the one of the greatest technicians and strateg uh, strategic people that the game's ever seen play at that position." Yeah. And he said, "That's exactly why." He goes, "I couldn't be a coach because I I'm I would be too much of a micromanager, and whoever yeah. played for me wouldn't have a good time because I can't." He, he he said, "I can't not be involved in every aspect, and that's not good yeah. for a quarterback." to have a coach like that. And I thought that was like great self-awareness, right? Absolutely. And the even if he even if he could do that, he can't do the hands-on with the defense. Yeah. He didn't play on defense. So you, so you, you're now managing at different levels, you know, if you if with a with a quarterback you're all over it. With the linemen, yeah, you're probably giving them a great deal, you know, block this, do that. Receivers, you know what? This is where you need to go, guys. Running back, didn't really do a lot of that. Defense, no clue. And and you you've got to inspire all of the organization. Almost every area needs to get the same level uh, of time from you that same level of input same level of direction same level of motivation but if you focus and, and this is what happens with people when they go to that next level level four engaging and empowering leader they struggle what they do is they revert back to what they're good at so you know you know patterns he's been made the head coach he realizes it's not going well he goes you know what i'll just go back and coach the quarterback because i can do that and then you you take your eye off the other things. You micromanage this area that pisses them off. 
and the other the other people have no clue what they're supposed to be doing because you you're no longer leading and managing them and, and i see that all the time and this is why you know people and it's an easy thing to do because the the people who are great at their jobs always think i can do the next job and and the role of hr is to you know create and nurture leaders give and and some people will make the jump as an expert give them the skills but more often than not i remember my i'd been in a leadership position for a year before i got any management training not leadership training management training and it was another four years before i got any leadership training mm. and, and i'll tell you this is a true story and i i often share this with people um so i, I was kind of like pet and manning in the projects I, I was working on, I, I'd been the I'd been the head of design, I'd been the head of testing, I'd been the head of implementation, and then the project manager got pregnant, nothing to do with me, and went on maternity leave. and, and My boss said to me, "Would you could you take over uh, as project manager? Nobody knows more about the project than you do. Nobody knows the teams and what they do more than you do. Would you be willing to take over?" And I said, "Yes, yeah, sure." And my first day, the first hour, uh, the so I'd had, I think the role I was doing prior to that was test manager, and the, the my first hour in overall charge, the test manager came up to me and she said, "I need to talk with you. There's an issue, and I, and we need to do that right now." And I'm, I said, "Okay, let's go into." Uh, one of the offices this will be easy i know everything about testing i've worked with you i coached you in there sat her down and i said okay what's the problem and she said i have a lump in my breast i think it's cancer mm. and i was like sorry what should i have a lump in my breast i think it's cancer i was like it, sorry is it nothing to do with the project I, I know everything about the project she said, no, I have a lump in my breast. I think it's cancer. What should I do? And and in that first hour, I realized leadership was a whole different ball game. And, mm. and it, it was it was it was a wake up call that I needed a completely different set of skills. So I went and started reading about and I, I so I said to her, look, you know what you need to do? Have you been to see the doctor? Have you spoken to your partner? Blah 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 blah. Uh, you know, try to calm her down, and everything worked out. And it was, it was just a lump. Fortunately, it was just uh, a lump. But after that, I thought, wow, that was my first hour. I need to be getting on this people train, and I need to start reading more. If the company won't train me, I will go and figure out what I need to do to become a, you know, a better leader and develop the skills that uh, that I need to have. Mm. that uh so there was a bunch there right and, and there's, yeah. there's two things that it was good i mean it was gold and i, I know the listeners yeah. are getting a lot out of this but it reminded me of two things i'll share one which is a quick story that kind of backs up what you were just saying yeah you mentioned him before bill parcells yeah um, and i mentioned this story on the podcast a couple of times before but i remember watching him getting inducted into to the hall of fame yeah. and i remember there was one of the reporters asked him kind of you know the classic question you know Coach Parcells, what was your biggest failure as a coach? And I remember he didn't skip a beat. He looked at him and he said, Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. And I would say so too. Yeah. They, they look at him like, but he was a great linebacker. He's in the yeah. Hall of Fame. He's like, yeah. First but defensive look at all the, MVP. Yeah. He goes, but look at all the trouble he's in. 
He goes, I spent too much time making him a great football player. I didn't spend enough time helping him become a better human being. Yeah. And and the second one you mentioned there uh, about the the training piece, I'd love to see these numbers revisited because I think these are based off of a, I think it's a 2012 study, but Harvard Business Review has a, uh, uh, has a a piece of research out there where they, I want to say it's 20 some thousand people across the globe, across all sectors. Mm -hmm. And they asked them essentially two questions. What age were you first put into your first formal leadership role? And what age did you receive your first formal leadership training? And there was a 10-year gap where people were put in their first role. And then a decade later, they received training to be in that role. That's neglect. and I would, I would imagine they got management training in the, in the interim because people, because uh, I kept getting offered management training, but it, but management and leadership are two completely, completely different things. And I, and I, I think we still struggle to see, uh, to understand and know what leadership is. And when I, when I, I'd, I'd been in the, I'd been in that role for a year. Uh, and they said, okay, we're going to give you some training. And I was like, yeah, great. And they sent me on a Prince project management training. And I went in and sat in and, and the guy said, okay, before we start, we're just going to ask a quick question to put everybody in the mood and, you know, get figure out where we are on this. And they said, what are the top, what are the top 10 challenges for uh projects for project managers on projects and and he said to me gordon i know you've been doing this for a year most of these others haven't been leading so let's let them go first and then you can add anything to the list and it and we went through and it was like you know budget scope creep uh, uncertainty about requirements lack of stakeholder buying blah 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 and he said okay yep we've got our 10 i think we're good to go he said i was going to ask you gordon if there's anything you want to add but i think we've got everything here and i said hang on a second there's one that's missing and it should be top of the list and he said what's that i said people said people are the biggest challenge on any project and he said no no they're not you know people are not on issue these are the top 10 and I thought, if you if you're not even going to talk about, if it doesn't even make the top ten, how are you preparing people for for leadership? One of the most challenging things I had to do, uh, and this was a project where I knew everything. We had to do an office reorg, fifty people, and I had to restructure where people sat. I thought World War Three was going to break out. Mm-hmm. Trying to keep people happy. I don't want to be sat too far from the printer. I don't want to be. I'm too far from the coffee machine. I can't sit. I can't sit near him. I can't sit near the printer because it spouts out. I was pulling my hair out trying to just keep people happy. Or and we we were delivering a ten million dollar billing system, which we delivered on time, met the requirements, customers were happy. But getting fifty people comfortable with where they were sat and not having a drop in productivity huge challenge because it was all about all about it's all about the people yeah. the, the quicker people learn that the better they will the quicker and higher they'll climb on the leadership ladder yeah no i agree a hundred percent and kind of going back I, I love the fact that you you know kind of made that distinction between management and leadership and going yeah. back to your your story about the lady who thought she had breast cancer like like to me that was it because i've actually had women talk about 
uh, being in that very same position and having quote unquote leaders tell them, well, you know, look, that's not my problem. That's not my area of expertise. Go get it taken care of. (laughs) Can you, can you do the project? Yeah. Zero empathy, zero care, zero concern. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it again, going back to employee disengagement. Do you think that that lady left that room wanting to do a killer job for the organization? Because she was just made to feel like she didn't matter. But when you take an approach like what you're talking about and you show like just an ounce of empathy, man, that could go a long way, right? Yeah. So one of the – absolutely. So the the last uh, corporate permanent role I had, we we created a culture – uh, and and I, I speak with a lot of people about defining cultures and they want cultures of innovation, cultures of accountability. And we developed a culture in that organization, which I think is the perfect culture. And it works. It works for every organization. And it's you can you can what we need to differentiate is between what the culture is we have and what it is we're trying to do. Those can be two different things. Uh, but too often people. Um, they focus on the on on the the what aspect and try and shape a culture that they think will deliver an outcome rather than developing the right culture and the culture we had and it was it was designed by the organization we sat down and we had a culture of we care yeah. we care about our employees we care about our customers we care about the quality of the work that we do and I, and I tell you when people feel that you care about them you can get them to do absolutely anything they will run through brick walls for you if people don't think that you care about them they become disinterested disengaged and they'll go and they'll they'll go and find people that do care or companies that, that, that care for them and the, and leadership for me it's all about showing people we care because we've my success is dependent on everybody in the organization being successful the more people that can be successful repeatedly the better we're going to do so for me i have to care and i have a duty of care to the team so i've got to set them up to be successful i've got to give them the tools that they need to do and i need to make sure that they don't get burnt out because i need them to do to be successful again next year and the year after and the year after and and creating that culture of we care and showing your team you care about them if you if you do that as a leader People will follow you anywhere. People will want from other teams will come and want to work for you. A hundred percent. And that's again, you know, and I've talked about this quite a bit on, on this uh, podcast and past episodes, but you know, this is one of the things that a lot of people who aren't veterans uh, yeah. are shocked to find out that is at the root of, of great military leadership. Like, Oh yeah. At, as yeah. a Marine, that whole piece was was ingrained you better care about the person to the left and right of you because they're going to care about you and if you guys don't care about each other then it's not going to end well for anybody and so it's not touchy-feely type stuff this is the thing that successful organizations do right yeah absolutely i've got your back you've got my back i i interviewed a guy called uh ed heiner uh and he was the he was in the uh, he was in the the uh, 
the Navy SEALs, based out in San Diego. He was the head of training. All of the SEALs went through the training. Uh, and I interviewed him and I asked him, what kind of, what style of leadership do, do you know do you have a style of leadership that the seals look for and he said he said our style of leadership it's all about servant leadership we are here to serve and i was like really and he said yeah absolutely we want to we, we want to be putting our men in the best place possible we want them to feel that we've got their back, that we are fully supporting them, because we're putting them into life and death situations. If you put people into a life and death situation without a I'm here to serve you mentality, they're going to pick up on that at some point, and you're not going to get the best out of them. Yeah. So, and I, I was, when it, once he explained it to me, I thought, wow, that that makes a lot of sense. But you know, if you'd have asked me at the start, what kind of leadership do we have? I don't think I would have said servant leadership. But that's the that's the style they're going for. Oh yeah, well, I mean, because it's uh, it's kind of the Hollywood effect, right? I mean, they, yeah. they always glorify yeah, yeah. the kind of the spitting, slobbering, screaming, yelling, authoritarian command and control. And yeah, sure, that happens. But you know, we call those folks bad leaders, just like everybody else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. Like at the end of Marine Corps boot camp, we do kind of like a mini hell week. It's only two and a half, three days like the SEALs. And, and that's kind of the, that that's the unspoken uh, outcome of that, right? Is sure, they want to test your physical endurance. They want to see where your breaking yeah. point is. But it's, are you, after being deprived of sleep, deprived of food, made to do all these things when you're kind of at those worst points, yeah. Are you going to dig deep and continue to lead your team, or are you going to break and turn your back on them? Well, the, the, I think one of the I see I, I don't like the I don't like the wording in and around that. Um, in in that, are they trying to break people? I don't think they are. I think they're trying to make people. If we yeah. if we put you, you know, the Romans used to have this strategy uh, of their training was bloodless battles, and if if we absolutely put people through the toughest situation they can in a friendly environment, when they go into a hostile environment. Yeah, it might have felt like hell during that hell week. But you know what? If you go through that and get on the other side, you're now prepared for pretty much anything that's going to come to you. Yep. And they used to say that about the Romans. Their training was bloodless battles, and their battles were bloody training. And we've just pre- they've just prepared people to, to, go and, to go and do that. Yep. And I think, no, I as I say, I, I, I would characterize that as making people, not breaking people. And, yeah. and if people if if people don't succeed in being mad, then you know the best thing for them to do is to step back and don't put themselves into that uh, that environment. No, I I a hundred percent agree with that assessment. There, it's uh, that's spot on because exactly. I mean, that's it, right? Is is it's that whole idea behind you know anybody can lead in the good times. Yeah. What are you going to do when things get rough? And and like you yeah. said, that's a that's a safe environment that, yeah. for for somebody to to actually break if they they can't stand up to it. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. I think this is why you know we we come back you know to talk about football. You know, anybody who plays for Alabama and wins thirty, you know, wins all thirteen games, thirty, forty, fifty nil. 
yeah, that that looks good. But, you know, we're looking to see who are those quarterbacks that came back from 20 points down in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Who can who can do it when the team morale is rock bottom and pick the team up by the scruff of the neck and turn it around? And anybody anybody can uh, quarterback a winning team. Can, but, but can you can you can you do it when the team's 14, 21 points down and, and, and bring them back? That's that's the test of leadership. Doing it when the going is rough, not when the going gets uh, going is easy. A hundred percent. Yeah. No. And, and that's what, so I always like to, to kind of throw this out there because, uh, you know, a lot of people they'll we've already talked about them. They talk, like to talk about Alabama. They like to talk about the Patriots. They like to talk about that. Yeah. But, uh, are you familiar with the, the New Zealand all blacks? Oh, my number one sport is rugby. I just watched Great Britain come from behind to beat the Springboks at the weekend. So, yeah, I'm very, very familiar with the All Blacks. Oh, well, very there you familiar. go, right? We talk about culture and sustainability. and Yeah. They've been around since, what, like early 1900s? Um, I think their first test was at eight, like 1891 or something like that. Right. Okay, yeah. So... And I don't know what the numbers are now, but the last I saw over that span, they've won something like it's like eighty-five or ninety percent of their games. Yeah, I mean, and that's, absolutely, that's, that's just and, amazing and, and, when you think about. And they have a population of three million, a, eight, yep. a country with a population of three million. I think they have something like thirty thousand players to pick from, and England has over three hundred thousand. And yet they kick our asses every year. <laughs> and it's, you know, uh, but again, it goes to that, that, that culture, right? It's not always, it's not always so the, more is better. It's not always, it's, it's you. And, and, you know, I've seen a couple of documentaries on them. And, and again, it's a the thing. They don't recruit. People come knocking on their door. Oh, people are queuing up. There's a great video. I, when I do, I, I do a leader, a breakthrough leadership training course, and I just did the one on culture last week. And there's a great video on YouTube. If you if you go onto YouTube and if you put in the history of the hacker, mm-hmm. there is a four minute video where the the guy talks about the hacker and what it means and what it means to play for an all for for New Zealand and how they teach the culture of Australia of the New Zealand rugby league team sorry rugby union team it's not the culture of the of the team it's the culture of the country they've got people tr- practicing the hacker in in junior school hoping that one day they will get to be an all black and everybody they it's drilled into them from a young age this is what it means to be an all black and the 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 hacker that they do um Katame. It, it, it was written over 100 years ago by a tribe that were on the verge of extinction and they went into their last battle and, and they did the hacker and it's do or die. We're going to leave everything here. You know, we're small, but we're going to come and stick it right to you. And, and they get to they get to do that before every game and reinforce it and look around, look each other in the eye and restate their culture. And every single every single player buys into it. And this is what this is why they are the best in the world. And as you say, I think they have a about an eighty five percent winning percentage. They've won the World Cup. I think it, I think they've won the World Cup a third of the times that it's been played. Mm. 
they they hold the I think they hold the record for the longest unbeaten run, something like 30, 35 games, and it's yeah. a country of three million people. And it's that culture piece too. Like I said, like yeah. like I I can't you know I can't watch that that uh, Haka and and not get. You know, I'm not even playing to not get yeah. tingles. And I'm sitting there Absolutely. like, you know, I don't know how the rules are 100% written, but that's one of the, like, if, if I'm the opposing team yeah. and I've got to set and watch them do that and like, I have to watch them and they're, they're looking at me basically saying, hey, I'm coming for you. Like, I've already started off like a point or two behind because it's, it's just that, that emotional thing that they get yeah. that I don't. So I went to see I went to see Great Britain play New Zealand. So there's two types of rugby. There's rugby league and rugby union. Uh, and I played and watched both. And I, I saw the New Zealand rugby league team, which is not the All Blacks. It's the it's the uh, it, it's like the difference between Canadian football and American football. And I, I, I went to see Great Britain play the uh, New Zealand, the Kiwis, the, the Kiwis they're called. And they won 25-24 with a score in the last minute. And for some reason, God only knows why, they didn't do the hacker at the start of the game. Uh, and when it was, when they won 24-25, final whistle gets split. And we were sat right behind the coach's dugout. And the whole New Zealand team came. And they were about 15 yards from me. And they did the hacker. Oh my God! It was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. And this was the team that had won. They okay, well, folks, uh, as you heard there, there was kind of an abrupt end. Apparently, uh, the spirits didn't want us talking about the the haka anymore, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, but no, I mean, it was it, it was good. It's that culture piece, right? And it kind of yeah. ties back into the things we've been talking about with organizations, like you know, the, the All Blacks, for instance. I guarantee you, they don't have disengagement problem they don't have no. these issues right and 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 what i've noticed again kind of doing the cultural tie-in is whenever they do have a player that has issues that that team has rallied around them and if it's bad the the culture yeah. takes care of itself right they've got Correct. a self-sustaining organism yeah it doesn't need leadership to say hey you're out of line the players will say hey that's not what an all black does you know, that, we don't do that round here. And that's the gold standard right there, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's what every organization should strive for. Yeah, when when, when the organization has the right culture and, and that culture is um, endorsed and lived from top to bottom, then it, then it will police itself. And people who, step out, people who step out of line will be told to get back into line very, very quickly. You know, you, yeah. you, you, can't be, you can't be an all black uh, and just say, I don't feel like it today. That, that, that doesn't happen. It's it, all or nothing. We're, we're, we put it, we're putting our bodies on the line every single game. And, and, and if you do, <laughs> that is the end of the road, right? The, the, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You won't get picked again. Well, I, and, and that goes... Uh, I was going to say real quick, that goes back to what we were talking about with SEALs, right? Because here's the one yeah. thing that a lot of, again, media talks about SEAL training is ringing the bell. What they don't yeah. tell you is that that candidate, they actually have an opportunity after they ring the bell, they can take it back. But what they've noticed is, and, and, and uh, I, I think there may have been one or two, but it's, it's almost like a, it's nearly a statistical 100%. 
that once you check out to the point where you do ring the bell, even if yeah. you decide you want to stay, you're already done. Because yeah. once you've given yourself an out, you know it's there and you're more likely yeah. to take it in the future. Correct. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Gordon, before we get out of here, I want to, uh, I've heard a lot of uh, stuff that you do. And folks, I'm telling you right now, if you're not following Gordon on social media, you need to. Like, uh, between you know the content you put out, the v- YouTube videos you put out, you you put out a ton of great content. I do put out a lot of content. Yeah, I'm passionate about this. <laughs> I just heard you <laughs> talk about one, and and, and we'll get about this because uh, you, you're talking about this acronym, uh, FAST, which mm-hmm. stands for Focus, Accountability, uh, sim- uh, Simplicity, and Transparency. But yeah, I, I got to ask this f- question here first before we talk about FAST here for the next few minutes. Do you really, I heard you giving a talk and you mentioned that uh, you try to get out a hundred tweets a day. 150. Good Lord. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you don't do all of those, right? You probably no. use like tools. I use, and- I use some tools. Social jukebox is a tool I use. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay, and I've written fifteen hundred blogs, and I wrote all of. Actually, it's probably closer to sixteen hundred now. But I wrote all. I wrote all of those. I am prodigious in uh, content production. Yes, yes, you are. That is a great. That that is might be the understatement of, of the year right there. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's talk about fast here, real mm-hmm. quick. Uh, let's talk about fast, real fast. Let's do that. Uh, yeah. So, so, so go for it. So, so fast is a process. I, you know, I worked in IT for thirty years, and I was a turnaround expert. And I and I and I I, I was coaching somebody, and he said, and I was, I was like, for an interview, and I said to him, "What are your three strengths?" And he said, "I don't know. What are yours?" And I said, "Actually." I don't know. I would have said, you know, honest, hardworking, persistent. But I thought anybody can say that. Is there there anything that actually defines me and what I do and makes me different to other people or common common qualities that other good leaders have and I and and as a turnaround expert I was wondering is there anything I do that is repeatable that I'm doing subconsciously which are my strengths and when I looked for it I was the 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 and I I focused on three and it was I I tend to simplify things and and simplicity it's about the how are we going to do this and the simpler you make it to be understood it doesn't necessarily need to be easier but if people can simply understand what it is they need to do and they can see how they'll be successful they'll they'll try and do it so we have to be we have to keep things simple Uh, the next thing is about transparency can do we know what's involved i run marathons and people tell me oh my god i couldn't run 26 miles it's not about running 26 miles it's about running 500 miles during 26 weeks of training if you can do that the marathon's dead easy if you don't do that you're going to struggle so we need to have the transparency of what's involved and then do we have a feedback loop do we have a scoreboard that shows us are we on track yes or no if we are good job well done pats on the back all round. if not what do we need to change to get back on track and then the the third area was about focus are we focused on the right thing if you're focused on the wrong thing doesn't matter how much effort you put in you're not going to fix it and this is why bringing it back to what we talked about at the start 
if you see employee engagement as the problem it's not it's the symptom and while ever you're treating the symptom you're not going to fix it you've got to focus on management engagement management engagement's the problem recruit the right people give them the right training and let and teach them how to engage people so we've got to have the right focus got to and that's about the what do we know what our goal is do we know what success is uh, and i was telling a friend you know my three strengths are simplicity transparency and focus and he said what about accountability you're pretty good at that and i went yeah if i had to do four it would be accountability and accountability is about the who who's involved have we set them up for success have we communicated to them what our expectations are and if you if you do that if you have the right focus, the right what, the right accountability with everybody knowing what their role is and the expectation. If you've kept it simple so they understand how they're going to be successful and you've got transparency into what needs to be done and the progress you're making, you not only eliminate the causes of failure because those are the, the four key causes of failure, you actually accelerate the speed with which you achieve results because focus and accountability allow us to be more effective simplicity and transparency allow us to be more efficient and when you're effective and efficient you are going to achieve results fast so that's kind of like my two minute summary three minute summary of fast mm. worked every time yeah, no, I love it. That, that's why I want to make sure that we got that piece out there because I think that is that is gold right there. Uh, I, I love that breakdown. Yeah. yeah, well, we did we did say that we would talk about that a little bit more, but I think I think the conversation we had has been valuable. And, and as we said for the readers, I, I I will offer an opportunity for people to be able to download a free uh, PDF version of Fast, so they can go and read that and uh, understand more about it. And it is a it is a tool you can use it in your personal goals if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a, a multi-million dollar company. The, the principles of FAST will will help you be more successful. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And thank you for that. I'll make sure that that link gets in the show notes. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got to ask before we, we kind of start to wrap up here, um, we did cover a lot of ground, <laughs> but is yeah. there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that you really want to leave listeners with? Um, yeah, I think so. Um and given what we've talked about, I think, you know, one of the questions people ask is, are leaders born or made? And, and to be honest, leaders are made. But what we do is we, we do get dragged down that expert path and we tend to promote experts. But anybody can lead. And I would, I would seriously recommend to anybody if you want to be a leader it's good to be an expert and understand the strengths of what you do on your day-to-day -day business but you've got to develop your leadership skills understand your emotional intelligence how to improve and drive that forward understand how to engage and inspire people and, and we talked about earlier just showing them that you care is a huge huge step in that direction and then look and see how you can empower people and if you get that whole people aspect mastered and you've got good technical capability you'll be unstoppable as a leader 
So mm. anybody can do it, but you've got to you've got to go out. And, and I offer leadership training, and I'm I'm not I'm not saying come and do my training. You you can go out. You, there's hundreds of books you can read. Go watch videos by Simon Sinek. Go on some leadership training. Take whatever courses you want, but invest in that development. And if you do that, you, your leadership will improve significantly. Uh, no, I love it. Well, you may not say it, but I will. Uh, <laughs> go go check out Gordon's training. Go check out the training that, that I provide at, at the Leadership Phalanx. Um, these are things that, that people really need. And Gordon, for your training, uh, again, I'll go ahead and encourage people, go get Gordon's training, but where can they find it? Let them know where they can find uh, the, the links to your training, how to get signed up, and your yeah. uh, social media. So simplicity. Um, I have the I have the uh, the pleasure of being the absolute only Gordon Treadgold in the entire world. So if you want to find me, just go and Google Gordon Treadgold. That will bring that will bring up my website, my Twitter account, my Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, the articles I've written on Inc and Entrepreneur. I am the only Gordon Treadgold in the world. So just put. Gordon Treadgold in Google, and you will find me. And and feel free to reach out and connect. You know, it, it's difficult to be an advocate of we care and to encourage people to connect and then not respond back to them. So I'm a very approachable and uh, responsive person. And if you reach out with questions about anything, I'll be more than happy to uh, come back and give you some uh, uh, guidance and direction yeah definitely and i can vouch for that i, I love what you've been doing uh keep up the great work and and Thank folks you. get out there and, and and definitely take advantage of everything that, that gordon has to offer and and uh, reach out um well brother it's been fantastic i don't want to take you away from the beautiful spain weather any longer uh so it's 10 o'clock yeah. it's what it's wine o'clock it's wine o'clock. Love it. It's wine o'clock. <laughs> well, brother, again, thank you very much for spending, uh, you know, last 50 plus minutes with myself and, and my listeners. This has been a treat. And uh, I think we cover a lot of ground and, and there's a lot of stuff here that is going to help a lot of leaders. So thank you for having this discussion with me. My pleasure. All right. And uh, listeners, I know you had a, a good time. I'm going to have all the links to all that good stuff in the show notes. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you know how to just reach out at burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, whether it's for guest ideas, story ideas, you got a question for me, you need to figure out how to reach out to one of my guests, whatever it is, reach out to me on there. Uh, and keep up the good work with rating, subscribing, reviewing, and sharing the show uh, so my great guests like Gordon can have their content uh, shared even further, although he's doing a great job with uh, 150 tweets a day himself already, but you can help him do an even better job. So thank you for that. And uh, again, listeners, thanks for spending the last uh, almost hour with us, and I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.